0: Good morning, people of God. You have navigated the weather. It's kind of warm like the summer, but dark and wet like the fall and coming winter. But we're here as people, people called by God, people equipped by God, people being changed by God. We're going to talk about that some this morning. Um, Our call to worship is from Psalm 105. It's a responsive reading. I love to Get us all involved in that way. So I'll begin and you respond. Psalm 105 Give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him, sing praise to him. Tell of all his wonderful acts. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his faith always. Remember the wonders that he has done, his miracles, and the judgments he pronounced. Let us stand and sing to the glory of the Lord for the beauty of the earth. amen. Have a seat if you would. It's always my joy on Sundays to welcome those of you on site. We've made it here and gathered today. The scripture is clear that God in his grace dwells in the midst of his gathered people. So we could count the noses and then plus one. God's here. As well as those who are on site, whether by live stream or recording, uh, we're glad that you've invited us into wherever you are, your apartment, your room, even across uh, the country or across the globe, we can be together and share this in a moment. I'm very thankful for that. Um, For this morning, I don't see Christine... I'm sure they've set up refreshment somewhere, whether that's in the library or outside. We'll find them. I think Celebration has always been good about where's the food, because we were going to get some banana bread, too. There's all kind of good things going on uh, behind the scenes, so take advantage of those things. I'll also, for about 30 minutes, starting at 10.15, uh, be with anybody who'd like to be a part of that time to follow up with the pastor. Uh, I field questions. Uh, We talk about the sermon, and I've been showing a brief Tim Keller video, Uh, always insightful and to the point, so that's a good time together. We get to function in that smaller group kind of setting. I was uh, laughing. You can tell that I picked this morning's music at a different time than just this morning. We sing for the beauty of the earth, even when the clouds feel hard-pressed in, because it's true, and so we're thankful for that. Other things, our midweek potluck, or this past Tuesday, was a great time together. Um, we'll plan to do that again in November, so watch uh, a relaxed time to and, and just um, without all the movement of a Sunday to spend time together. And on Wednesday night, our community dinner will start inside. We've been kind of taking advantage of the good weather through the course of the summer and the early fall, and now we'll be moving inside and. As part of that, always interested, if you'd like to gather with some people, we study together, we pray together, read a book together, uh, pursue me. I'm, I always have ideas, and so we can start and go with whatever works for you. Any place that folks are willing to gather, I'm willing to think about Jesus. So, committed to that. Finally, our online uh, Connect card, we have a way, if you will just take this number on your text and 616-202-1210 and text the word CONNECT, you'll get a link to a little form and you can fill that in, get our weekly email if you like. You can ask me to give you a call, um, any number of good things. So let's stay in touch that way. You know, week by week, month by month, we're kind of figuring life out and how to go and uh, how to move forward. Uh, I love the Heidelberg Catechism, one of the things that, uh, as I've ministered around the country in a variety of different settings, one of the great things about getting uh, here in western Michigan was the, the connection to the Heidelberg Catechism, this Dutch expression of orthodox biblical faith. So each month we take a different question, and this month uh, the question is number 86, So let's confess our faith, remembering we're connected to something much bigger than us. And this is a way to express that and to receive the benefit from it. Here's the question. Since we have been delivered from our misery by grace through Christ without any merit of our own, why then should we do good works? Because Christ, having redeemed us by His blood, is also restoring us by His Spirit into His image so that with our whole lives we may show that we are thankful to God for his benefits, so that he may be praised through us, so that we may be assured of our faith by its fruits, and so that by our godly living our neighbors may be won over to Christ. Hallelujah. Sing to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Amen and amen. You know, I'm usually kind of quiet about what heaven will be like. I, I don't think the scriptures really clear, so I hate to fill in just too much detail or get too dogmatic, but I think we're singing that hymn tune in heaven. It turns out to be a favorite of mine, and I'll tell you two little stories about the way singing just builds the people of God. When I first took the call to the little church in Homa, Louisiana, just recently overrun by Hurricane Ida, got there, and it wasn't a singing church, and one of the things I figured out we could do was you can sing about half the hymnal to that hymn tune, and nobody in the congregation could read music So I just had the piano player play that hymn tune and said, let's sing hymn number so-and-so. And And it was about three months before folks said, you know, it seemed like every time we come to worship, we sing that hymn. And it was the same hymn tune, but new words. And what was happening was people were learning to to hear their voices in praise of God and, and build and go from there. The other thing we had to do was start singing some in French, and that was new for me. Uh, So all kind of different languages. The other thing that struck me, that hymn tune was central to the ministry of Evan Roberts, the 1904 Welsh revivals that swept through England and then to to the world. And I've heard, they were were crude, but crude recordings, all they could do at that time, of Welsh churches filled with people singing in the Welsh language to that hymn tune. And I've, boy, I've heard that, I've just thought... That's heaven. We sing, and we will one day gather around a throne. Our tears will be wiped away. Our sorrows will be no more. The old order of things will have passed away, and we shall be like him. We'll gather there. It's a good thing that Jesus has for his people. Let us turn to the Father and pray together. Lord God, we thank you. That as we join with the work of Jesus as he prays, we thank you that by your marvelous grace, you bind us together as your people. Thank you that you hear us as individuals, and yet there's also something about our corporate voice as together we give you praise. As together we intercede and stand in the gap, we pray right now for Heart Awake Ministries, Thank you for this uh, fruitful and joyous season. Uh, Be with us in the various ministries that extend from here, whether our missionaries to the end of the world, whether the worship times we have together, or whether our ministries through the week into the um, community, through Neighbors Plus and through each person connected to Hardwick, bringing a bit of the gospel to wherever they work, wherever they serve, wherever they study. Father, we pray for Watershed and Pastor Aaron for the ministry there and for Pastor JB and Fusion. We thank you for the variety that you've built into Heart Awake. And now we thank you for the marvelous unity that's the work of your Holy Spirit. We pray, too, for Pastor Florencia and for Mission that'll be meeting here. We're reminded that the gospel is bigger than just us. Father, we do pray for your ministry through celebration, that you've gathered us into a group that we can know one another. And so we pray for one another. We remember to pray for Beth. And I have got word this morning that Gene is in the hospital for tests and observation. For others, Father, who have a hard diagnosis, perhaps prevents them from getting out, who feel energy slipping away, We pray that in every circumstance, hard-pressed at work or school, uh, whether seasons of joy as we see those we love, fruitful and vibrant, whatever it may be, that in all things, help us together to weep with those who weep and to rejoice with those who rejoice and to come before you with one voice and one heart. Lord Jesus, you've loved us deeply. And so we pray for our community, local, state, and federal. We, we pray for those in authority, and this week we pray for those in state positions, our governor and those officials, uh, for our state house and senate. Father, in a time that's so marked by confusion and rancor, thank you that you can use your people, the church, as instruments of peace in pursuit of justice and righteousness, building community based around the peace that comes from the cross. Father, in this season, you can use us as a shelter from the storm, as we welcome the wounded, as we call to repentance, uh, as, as we help people look past themselves to something bigger. Father, put our hearts at rest not because we control our circumstances but because we are at rest in you even when our circumstances are hard-pressed. Finally, Father, we pray that you would uh, hear our prayer and bind us together as in one voice we pray just as Jesus taught us saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm sorry. and to turn that off. Uh, week by week. Uh, In the fall, we are doing what I'm calling building the vision. I want to make sure as we begin to try to articulate where God is calling us in this season uh, that we get uh, everyone aware. And so we're doing a uh, sermon series on what's the emerging vision. I organize my thinking about this vision, though we've got a lot more detail, around two columns of three propositions, everyone joining in the journey, and each week I'm preaching through a different one of those propositions. Thus far in building the vision, and I'm going to ask you to read and respond so we can begin to memorize and see. The first, as we're building the vision, the first one is this, everyone, and the second one, joining. So we, everyone joining, that means this week we move to uh, the journey. So, I'm going to read from our text, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Uh, You can follow along. Let us hear the word of God. Paul is writing, and remember, he writes this from prison. So, this is a guy who's locked up for the gospel because of a miscarriage of justice. He's being kind of avoided, can't get a uh, speedy trial being moved around civilization around the Mediterranean and in the midst of this jail sentence listen to what he says as for y'all y'all were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, that you have condescended to speak your truth into human language. You spoke it through the writing of human beings. Through the course of history, you've preserved these texts so that now, by your grace, we can stop from the rush of our lives. Translate, read, study, consider, pray, and listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit. For you've promised, Spirit, to illumine and to bring to mind and to teach. So, this day, even in a broken, distracted world, speak to us, Holy Spirit. Put our hearts at peace, set our minds to vision and to new ministry. Lead us in the fullness of your grace, we pray, for you loved us deeply, and we give you great thanks for that. Be with us in Jesus' marvelous and mighty name. Amen and amen. Well, who are we? That's what vision is about. It's not so much who are we right now, but where do we believe God is calling us to? What should it look like? How do we pull together? How do we move forward in what God has for us? I'm calling this morning, The Journey, Goal-Oriented Movement Over Time. You may want to let that ring in your head or it's there in the outline in your bulletin. Goal-Oriented Movement Over Time. Now I understand that there is a way of looking at life as a Christ follower that's real stable and settled. Uh, We do that well in the CRC. You know, we were born, there's covenant baptism, we're secure in God's promises and in that practice, and then later on, there's a profession of faith, adult membership, we're we're settled. It says if we live in a stability of from one bucket for a while to another bucket. So we tend to do stability real well. We can think of citizenship that same way, can't we? You're a citizen of the United States. My kids were all born here, and they quickly got Social Security cards. They were citizens. And then at 18, my son had to register for the draft. They were working, so they were paying taxes. Very stable in who they are and what they did. We can live that way in Christ. It's like from one bucket to the next, but always in a bucket. One island to another island. That is an expression of the gospel. There is a security we have in our identity in Christ, but there's a different way of looking at everything involved with living day to day as a believer. And we've really sensed the call to this in in this vision statement. There's a different way that's just as biblical and for this moment, very important. And so I wanna think about Christian life as a journey. Not so much in the security of one island to the next, but the daily one step at a time movement from one place to the next. There are certainly some definite markers along the journey. A profession of faith is a real life-changing thing. The covenant that God has given parents in baptism is powerful and true. But I also want to think about the dynamic The kind of smaller, regular, even daily steps in between. Steps that build the bridge from this marker to the next. Daily spiritual practices. Daily decisions of faithfulness. It's more than that settled with Jesus and now I go on with my life. No, what does it mean to live daily? And that picture, the metaphor that's in our minds, is the journey. As we try and express... Or articulate, baby, God's calling for Hardawike in this next season. We definitely want to focus on this second metaphor for discipleship the journey, the daily steps. And so I want to dig into that some and, and see just where it is in the scripture. Several things about this journey. One, it is a journey over time, it will be for the rest of your life. It has been from the day of your profession to now, it is a journey day by day by day. Um, In the scripture that we've looked at today, Paul contrasts what we were before we were in Christ and what we are now that we are in Christ. There's a difference. And these Greek tenses, uh, the way the verbs work, I don't want to get too deep in the weeds here. They can be a little bit confusing, but here's the bottom line. When we come to faith, and Paul's favorite term for this is being in Christ, we have changed. And we have a secure end point of what we are, but we are living in this day, in the time between the times, going from one to the other. And so there's that journey. Being in Christ is not just a one-time event, rather it's something that works out in our lives over a span of time. It's like a journey. Let that settle in. It has a beginning. We surrender and acknowledge acknowledge Jesus for who he is. And it has an ending, a start and a goal. But along the way and over time, that's where things are coming and changing and growing and falling away. So there's some good things we can say. It's a journey over time, but it's a journey where the end is secure. Imagine if you were going to, get involved in a football game, but you knew you were the winner. You might not risk your neck. You'd play hard and enjoy, but you live in a different confidence. The good news of the gospel is that the journey of faithfulness, the end is secure. We know that we will all get to the end, even if we know little about the details. The reason we know that is because Jesus is who he is. Because it is by grace, we can depend on him. Because it is by grace and he is reliable, our end is secure. Listen to how John talks about it in 1 John 3, 2. This is a favorite text of mine. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 15. He's been talking about the resurrection and the hope that comes from it. And he says, In the flash, in the twinkling of an eye, we will be changed. We'll get to the end. It is secure. We live in the stability that the end is secure because it's God's grace that gets us there. Another way to refer to this, and you've perhaps heard this before, is the already but the not yet. And this is how we kind of parse out these Greek verbs. We already are in Christ, and that means our end is secure, but it's not yet. I often borrow the illustration about D-Day is behind us, but we haven't yet arrived at VE, Victory in Europe Day. I had an uncle who landed on D-Day at Normandy, and apparently military strategy folks will say that within about a week, it was pretty clear that the war was settled. It was, but there was time until VE Day, and there was the Battle of the Bulge. We are in that moment, the time between the times. Another great illustration of this, J.B. was talking, he um, celebrated his first Father's Day about a week before his oldest child was born. He was already a father, though not yet staying up all night. Um, The Christian life is the living out of that journey. He will be a father for the rest of his life. And I mean the rest of his life. I'm sure finding that out. But he began, he already was, even though he was not quite yet. Second thing I want to say about this journey, as we think about it this way, is that it's a journey deeper. It is a journey into a deeper relationship with Christ, with other people. It's away from shallowness and superficiality. It, it's towards intimacy, relationship, and knowledge. It's a journey of learning to abide. In John 15, Jesus says, "I myself am the true vine and the Father is my gardener." Is the gardener? You know of that passage, the Father prunes us, the dead branches are thrown into the fire. He says, "Apart from me you can be busy in church." What he says is apart from me you can do nothing. You can do nothing that will last. You can be busy. You can accumulate money that you will leave behind for your heirs. But in terms of what goes with you for eternity, you can do nothing apart from him. So the journey is not about performance. It's about going deep with Christ, learning to to draw life from the Holy Spirit. It's not about over time doing more church behaviors better. I don't know where I got the idea. I'm sure I was not taught it. But I just think that as I grew in Christ, the broken nature of my heart put this twist in for me. I can look back now over decades of ministry and shared life with people as disciples of Jesus. And I see that early on in my ministry, I had this unspoken sense that I was to figure out the right behaviors and thoughts And do that from the Bible, because the Bible is true. See, that's true truth, so let me start there. I'll figure out what it says for us to do, and then I'll need to work it out in my life. That's how you don't be a hypocrite. You live consistently. And then I was to make sure everybody else did the same. Ever been under ministry like that? The Domini has it figured out? trying to live it out, at least not be caught, and telling other people what to do. Friends, that misses the whole direction of the gospel. It's not about doing more church behaviors better over time. It's about abiding in Christ so that the life I draw is from the Holy Spirit. I can live in broken circumstances. I can live under pressure. I can live in dark and confusing moments, but because my life and identity are being drawn, deeply rooted in God's Word as the Holy Spirit speaks to me. Psalm 1 is a great picture of how those who invest in God's Word were like a tree planted by a river. Our roots are well-fed even when there is no rain. You see, it's about a journey deeper, not performance. There are so many controversial things in our moment. I was tempted to just pick one. What, what's the most controversial thing going on right now? There's so many we hardly know what to do. I'll pick one. Folks are ducking for the covers. What? How about vaccine mandates? Oh, I can't believe he's going there. Pick something controversial. And you see, my call is not to figure out what's right and get you to do it. My call is to help you understand what it means to rest in Christ so that you're facing the questions of your life, in this illustration, vaccine mandates, out of an abiding with Christ. How many people are getting vaccinated out of pride or fear rather than abiding in Christ? How many people are not getting vaccinated because you can't tell me what to do and I'm in charge of my life rather than abiding in Christ? My call, and you see, this is why I don't fit in the world, is to help you abide in Christ and receive life from God's word in the power of the Holy Spirit and to live and bear fruit. You should be the people who are most peaceful, who are kindest and most self-controlled, in whom the power and fruit of the Holy Spirit is showing itself to neighbors. I don't need you to come and me convince you what to do. I want you to come and me help you dig deep roots into the living Christ. See, the journey is about going deeper, not performing better. And I want to talk finally about the the goal of this journey. The journey is to the new creation. We are going someplace and it's different than where we are. Heaven is not what we've got, just more of it. Heaven is completely different. The old order of things has passed away. The new order of things has come. That's the good news. The journey has an end point. You arrive at this specific destination, and I want to tell you something. It's not your place or my place to choose the destination any more than it's our position as creatures to choose the route when the journey takes us to that destination. Jesus promised Peter, you never have kids memorize this in Bible school, I will take you where you do not want to go. But you know, every one of us who's lived more than a handful of years has followed Jesus into some places we would not choose to go. And in those hard places, he has been at work to make what we never could ourselves to prune away trust of self, to bear the fruit of relying on Christ. The journey has an end point. There are three clear aspects to that new creation. The first is personal. Good news, the Holy Spirit is at work. Grace will make us different persons. I'm kind of sad that my kids had to live with the me of 30 years ago rather than the me of now. I'm 30 years deeper into the gospel. That's how they learn forgiveness, I guess. What, what do we say? God is making each of us as persons different, bearing more fruit. He's pruning some things away. He's cultivating some others. The journey to the new creation has a personal impact. It also is relational. You know, we've read through this Ephesians. how All of those yous are really y'all. They're plural. He's always speaking to everybody, and to everybody, both inside and outside. Jesus is at work building a new humanity, not just new persons. It'll take new persons. I'm all for that. But there's something about how we relate to one another, about how we forgive one another and forbear with one another, prefer one another. Ever heard anybody run on a political platform, we want to prefer the other people? Not at all, but that's the message, the gospel to the people of God. Grace will build different communities and different churches. We should be nervous. And as you look at history, we have every reason to be nervous when our churches look like our immediate communities and not like the kingdom of God. You know, I want to tell you something. I've lived in some neighborhoods where they hear that promise of Jesus, I go before you to build a place for you. And in those neighborhoods, what they picture is so much better than where they live. You know what? My mansion in heaven may be smaller than my house in this world, but I'll have Jesus. Think about that ponder that. We have good things. God is building something greater than we have on this earth, and indeed it affects all of creation. Everything has been impacted by our sin and human brokenness. Everything will be redeemed from it. I love the vision of Revelation 21, that there is coming a new heaven and a new earth. We lived in Los Angeles while I was going to seminary during the worst years of air quality in California. Students would come to Fuller Seminary in September and just thought we lived in a valley in the fog. And then we'd come back after Christmas. You know, there's only about three days that Pasadena, California looks beautiful. And it's always New Year's Day at the Rose Parade. We'd come back and there'd be mountains close that you hadn't seen all year all creation will burst forth and give God praise. Romans 8, all creation awaits the great and final redemption. It's good news, friends. This journey has a direction, and I love the text in 2 Corinthians. Again, this is Paul writing, if anyone is in Christ, anyone, you, us, including them. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The end is secured because God is the one who's getting us there. The old is gone. The new is here. Live into that. Let that live out of you. The journey to the new creation means we enter into some things. Repentance, speaking truth, We leave behind some other things, our insecurities, our anger, yes, our anger. I want to close today by focusing on something that I think just surrounds us in our time, but it also weighs us down for this journey that Christ wants to take us on. It's something that weighs us down and that if we were to use the image of John Bunyan in Pilgrim's Progress, he wants to take that out of our backpack and make the journey a little easier. It's about anger. Senator Ben Sass from Nebraska wrote a fascinating book in 2018 called Them Why We Hate Each Other and How to Heal. And he talks about the media environment. He'd been a university professor and a business professional. He'd served in a number of different settings through the course of life, and then he was elected to the Senate from Nebraska. Fly over country and as he got involved in that setting he discovered what he calls the polarization business model polarization and divisiveness as a way to make money he got to know a particular broadcast personality one said to be making about 40 million a year and this is from chapter four in his book I'll just read a paragraph or two This broadcaster explained the core objective of his two different programs to the New York Times. It's not to promote a particular agenda or even to offer coherent arguments against a different agenda. His core cause is to rage. I'm mad, he explained in the interview. That's the starting point. Each episode on all formats, every show, it begins with something that makes him mad enough to emote and mad enough to let others participate in a collective experience of catharsis. I'm mad and I've expressed it. Most cable news and talk radio shows today, on both the right and the left, he says, operate this way. The leading programs are orchestrated by executives and personalities who understand well that there's real money to be made in helping people keep their fears and their hatreds aligned. Still, this broadcaster is without peer. He's careful not to claim that he's offering viewers accurate news from an unbiased perspective or giving due consideration to competing interpretations of complex events. No, instead he heaps up serving after serving of what one of my Senate colleagues calls his, hey, can you believe this sort of messaging? The world in which we live in which people make money encouraging us, enabling us, calling us to be angry. You know, there's a fascinating question. It's asked twice in one chapter in the Bible. Is it right for you to be angry? When I say book of Jonah, you and I probably think about the reluctant prophet who ran away from the calling of God In the midst of that running away, a storm got him thrown out of the boat and swallowed up by a great fish. And then, I always love this. If we were a middle school group, I would make much of this. He gets vomited up on the shore. And then he goes to preach. Imagine if I spent three days in the belly of a great fish, got barfed up on the shore, and then said, repent. Well, everybody in the city repents. Repents. And listen to Jonah chapter 3, verse 10, the last verse in chapter 3. When God saw that the people, what the people of Nineveh did, namely repent, and how they turned from their evil ways, God relented. It did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Then it picks right up, Jonah 4.1. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. The scripture records somebody who becomes angry. You were merciful, God. I don't like my circumstances. I'm embarrassed. I don't like what's happened. I'm angry. Verse 4, but the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah doesn't reply. That's the first sign that something's wrong. Going to dodge your question, big guy. He goes to a hilltop, and like a a well-schooled, believing adult, he sulks. I don't like this God in his mercy Grows a plant Sends a worm The plant is gone He suffers in the sunlight How does Jonah respond? He gets whiny Listen to this But God said to Jonah This is the second time Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said And I'm so angry I wish I were dead is it right for you to be angry? See, God takes Jonah to task. Jonah is more concerned about his comfort than he is about these people facing the consequences of their sin. Is it right for you to be angry? The obvious answer from God is no. It's not right to be angry. You have no right to be angry. What if the anger in your life from whatever source, was something God wanted to take out of the backpack for the next steps in your journey. Would that be a deal? Or would you, like Jonah, want to hold on to that anger? It's interesting to me, Ephesians, where we're preaching from, talks quite a bit about anger. In your anger, do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. I've been fascinated, and you can find them on YouTube. You know, the internet is great. You can find anybody who'll tell you anything you want to hear. Occasionally, you can dig through the rubble and find some truth, because I'm going to be on the internet by this afternoon. in your anger do not sin. I can't believe the number of sermons and people I've listened to and talked to who said, well, this scripture tells us that it's okay to anger, just don't be a sinful kind of angry. Oh, talk to Jonah about that. What's God's conversation with Jonah? Is Paul pointing in this verse in Ephesians to, you can be angry, just don't do it in a sinful way. I don't think so, friends. I do not think so. Paul is taking here from Psalm 4-4, and there's a challenge in translation text questions here a bit, but I want to point out that if you look at Psalm 4:4, basically the psalmist is describing an event that I, maybe you've never had, but I've had, oh, I won't even say recently. No more recently than every night sometimes. You get to the end of the day. You find your mind playing over parts of your day. And what the psalmist says is don't sin. Don't go to sleep angry. Deal with your heart. Even if you can't deal with the person or the event or the circumstances, deal with your response that says, I'm so angry I could die. I was done wrong. I'm not happy with how God is working this circumstance out. Deal with your response to this heartache, to this wrong, to this situation. Choose to trust God's control of the world, even if you can't alter the person or the circumstance that's suddenly playing out in your head as you lay on the bed. That's what Paul is speaking to as he quotes Psalm 4:4. There's no playing off acceptable anger and unacceptable anger when you start down the road of making peace with anger, over time, more and more, different kinds of anger will appear acceptable to you. Listen to what Paul says just a little later in Ephesians 4. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger. He'd put whole 24-hour news channels out of business, wouldn't he? They wouldn't know how to make it work. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Don't nurture that anger, be done with it. Instead, respond out of a different heart motivation, a different resource. Friends, we all face difficult and hurtful circumstances and relationships. We need to face them. The scripture never calls us to denial, never calls us to bury them and act, fake it till you make it. That may work for an afternoon until you get another time where you can start to work on those hard issues, but get to the hard issues. If you're going to love an addict well, you're going to need to gather loved ones and stage an intervention. That's just how that looks. That's hard. If you're in an abusive relationship, there's gonna be a need to confront the abuser to set boundaries, even perhaps to relocate. That's hard. If you're an employer with an unhelpful employee or an employee who's got a just crazy employer, these are real challenging situations that give our heart energy to respond out of anger. People you hang out with in school or that group you're connected with in Instagram that play and play. You need to face these dysfunctional relationships. But I want to call you to do that from a gospel-empowered forgiveness and love. It'll only get worse when your engine is charged up with anger. Do you see the difference? Forgive as you in Christ have been forgiven by God receive the forgiveness, and let that be the energy to then forgive and perhaps deal rather than avoid with the brokenness of relationship. Uh, The brother of Jesus, James, he always just seems to, he must have learned some stuff, you know, as they were laying in bed in the room together as teenagers. Can you imagine? He says, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So whatever anger is motivating is not gonna get where God wants to take you. Imagine that. Even James's brother, Jesus, said, "'I tell you that anyone who is angry "'with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment.'" Is it right for you to be angry? God asked Jonah the obvious question, no. Let me suggest that anger becomes one of those things in your heart that you can let be a symptom you know, when I sneeze, I wonder, is there something worse in my lungs? I see the symptom, and okay, sometimes in a pinch I need to treat the symptoms, but you're not well till you deal with the root cause. When you see anger, when you hear, ang- have you ever heard angry words come out of your mouth and you're going, whoa, where did that come from? That's the right question. Take some time and pray. Get silent with the Lord. Let the Holy Spirit say, You've not let go of this. You're holding on to this rather than putting it into my hands. You know what I picture in my own mind, I'm a simple guy, I have simple pictures. Let's not start a new denomination on this. But when somebody has wounded me, that's a debt. And you know how sometimes a credit card company will just give all of your debts to a debt collector? The person who owes me a debt, I've now given my debt to Jesus and I can't collect on it anymore, it's in his hands. It's not mine. I give it up. So let's not just treat the symptoms, but let's get to the root cause. I don't like what has happened. I'm taking things into my own hands, often self-justified revenge. You see, this is one of the questions I have. I hear so much talk about justice. How come the non-verbals always sound like revenge? You know? because there's not been a transforming gospel to change a heart on either side of the problem. I'm going to settle that score. See, it brings us to forgiveness. Part of the journey is growing in the life of forgiveness. We prayed that in the Lord's Prayer. Help us to forgive as we've been forgiven. But I wanna tell you, it's it's a burden if I were to tell you, forgive out of the determination of your own will, your own sense of, I'll do this, I've gotta do this, I'm gonna be happy about it. Kind of like the way I vacuum the house. I love Mary Lynn and I'm, I'm gonna vacuum. Something's missing, something's missing, until I realize I've been loved. You know, I often vacuum with a smile when I think about breakfast. You're loved. You act in love. You see, we can begin to leave anger behind when we see forgiveness as the extension of grace received. Maybe we need to stop and receive more grace. Ask. God is happy to give. Do you hear from yourself? Do you see in yourself angry behaviors? Do you hear angry words? Stop. What is that a symptom of? Where do I need more grace? Where does the love of God change me that I can respond differently and maybe have the strength to do an intervention, to confront, to have an honest conversation. But it's so different when you do it out of love and from the base of forgiveness. I want to close by just giving you a picture of the heart as a demonstration plot or garden. Perhaps you've lived close to a university where they're studying agriculture and they'll often set up a university plot, a demonstration plot or garden, and they'll try new seeds or new cultivation. I want to tell you, our hearts are a demonstration plot for the gospel for the world to see. That's what we were saying in the Heidelberg Catechism, that the world might see the fruit of God at work, and season by season, new plants Cultivated, bearing new fruit, new hope. And then as he brings us together, you see those demonstration plots, those demonstration gardens become an abundant fruit for our community. Oh, I need food. I'll go there. Come and see how it is. See what the gospel does. Our hearts, our churches, our lives, a demonstration plot of the seeds of the gospel, growing up over time, bearing fruit, blessing us and blessing others. That's the journey day by day until finally in the twinkling of an eye, we are like him. Let me pray. Father, thank you that you've loved us deeply, that we come to you not as people who have been able to capture your attention, but people who are the object of your attention and love. And you saw our need in ways that we were not even able to face ourselves. And you met that need, and you've offered us more than we could ever ask or imagine. It's so marvelous what you've offered us in Christ that you only give us little bits at a time. And so every morning, your mercies are new and fresh. The demonstration garden of our hearts can get a little bit bigger. And a new crop is you've cultivated patience, and now you want to cultivate self-control that you were at work day by day, step by step, to birth in us a greater work than we could ever imagine ourselves. Oh, Jesus, give us an excitement for your good work, that even as our world looks broken and pressured and torn, the fruit of your grace at work in us might bear marvelous and good and gracious things. Father, we thank you that you've loved us deeply and that you are building the vision and heart alike that together we might move forward as your people. I ask, Father, that this day you bind us together. Clarify this. Thank you that your people are a part of this. But clarify this and lead us fruitfully into your good future. For we pray in the marvelous name of Jesus and all of God's people sit together. Amen. Friends, I want to reiterate, we're building the vision first, everyone joining the journey. There's place for all. There's a good work in all. Let's stand and sing together to the glory of the Lord. now from the book of Romans, again the writing of the Apostle Paul, receive the benediction of our God. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith, to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen and amen.